Amen. Good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? How many of you love Jesus this morning? Anybody here love Jesus this morning? It is great to see you here. Before we dive into the Word this morning, we want to celebrate uh, what happened this week in our DPK camp in uh, 2017. And so uh, I'm going to let Michael tell you a little bit about what took place here this week. So exciting just to see all these kids. You know, as, as fun as that video was, it was even more fun this week at camp. It was an amazing time, and I'm sure if you guys had a kid in camp and they come, came home and took a long nap, you know, so how much fun they had. But uh, we had an absolute blast. We had almost 400 children, 398 children this, uh, this summer, which was an incredible, an incredible opportunity to minister to and uh, in a new building and just an, an amazing new facility, and we did all new things this year. We had... Uh, um, uh, amazing times of worship uh, up front. You saw some of those times. We also had um, nine different times for our kids to choose from, so they actually got to choose what they wanted to do. So they got to do really fun things like uh, drama or uh, cheer and dance or outdoor games, football, baseball, um, and even uh, really neat things, uh, new things like solar science and food, and uh, got to make food and and um, just a, a, a blast. And, and also our art, man. Uh, they just had so much fun doing all these different things, and each and every one of those things, they got to learn about Jesus. Uh, we had some amazing times of uh, Bible study and, and learning from God's Word, and each and every day, uh, we just uh, were able to walk with them as they, we were able to, together, to discover our, our identity in Christ, and so it was really amazing. And so, uh, at the end of the week, um, we challenged, and we, uh, we shared the gospel all throughout the week, and then... Um, faithfully on uh, Friday we just uh, gave her gospel presentation and asked for any kids that may want to respond to that we had 10 children respond and and uh, pray to ask Christ into the heart so it was truly amazing so amen not only did we have almost 400 children here this week but we also had over 150 volunteers who came out every single day and helped the camp and I tell you uh, if you were here we we didn't we didn't uh, we, we couldn't have been, done it for any less than what we had. If you, were, if you were here this week as a volunteer, we just want to recognize you this morning. Would you stand up here and just let's celebrate you and your involvement. Amen. Thank you so much for helping out with DPK Camp. And then also, I just want to recognize Teresa Parkinson. She was our camp director this year. Uh, her and our family ministry staff, we couldn't have done it without them. And so let's just thank... Teresa as well for just helping us out. What an amazing thing that God is doing in the life of our family ministry, and we couldn't be more excited about that. And so, uh, I want to pray for us this morning. We're going to celebrate that—the uh, good news that uh, of ten salvations here this week—and and then just pray for the message as well. So, thank you, Michael, very much. Father, we thank you for this day, and we thank you, God, for what you're doing in this place. And Lord, we just thank you for. Uh, God, just how you moved in the lives of so many students, children, this week. God, from our children to our youth ministry who just faithfully served in so many different ways to the adults who were here as well. God, you did a, just remarkable things in the lives of so many. And Father, we celebrate today those who responded to faith in Christ Jesus, knowing their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, God, is is some of the most exciting things that we could celebrate here this morning. Father, we thank you for what you're doing in this place. We thank you for what you're 
doing in our lives. And God, we just celebrate each and every day your presence and your power. God, you're so faithful to us. And Father, I just pray that as we continue to live our life in obedience to you and to the vision that you have given us and the calling that you have placed upon us to reach this city for Christ, Father, I pray that you would help us and lead us and guide us every step of the way. Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for this opportunity where we can dive into your word and God be changed and challenged and convicted and encouraged by the the reading and the preaching of your word and so father i pray today as we dive into your word that you would lord help us to set aside every distraction that may exist in our life god that we would have ears to hear and god that you would speak deeply and loudly into our hearts we love you lord we praise you in the name of jesus we pray amen well last week we kicked off a new series called free and what we begin to talk about in this series is the, is the reality that in Christ Jesus we have freedom. And we talked about what it means to be free in Christ. We also talked about a little bit uh, about our identity in Christ and that we are no longer who we used to be in the flesh, but as a believer and a follower and a disciple of Jesus, we are now in Christ and our identity is in Christ. And so we talked about that as we kicked off this series and it's so important that we understand those two things about who we are that we are free and free indeed in Christ Jesus and that our identity is in Christ and so as we were talking about that last week we established the foundation for everything that we want to talk about in this series that is the that is the foundation for what we hope to accomplish in this series that we're free in Christ and that our identity is in Christ Jesus. So we're going to be talking about that all the way through the next seven weeks of, of, of this series. Our hope and our prayer throughout this study is to examine those issues that we commonly face as disciples in Christ Jesus. And so we want to take a look at that. We want to understand it. We want to understand what God wants us to know about who we are in Jesus. And so this morning we're going to be talking about an issue that is certainly one that spreads throughout the church today. It's something that as we look into Scripture, we see goes all the way back to Jesus' day, something that goes all the way back to the early church's day. And we're still battling with this issue today, and it's the issue of secularism. And so this morning, the message is titled, The Fatal Reality of Secularism. We're going to be looking at 2 Timothy chapter 4, if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do. Go ahead and turn there with me, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5 is what we're going to be diving into here this morning. Now before I get started, before we dive into this text, I want to, I want to define here this morning what it means to, uh, to uh, what it is that we need to understand about secularism. I want to define it, if you will. And so secularism could be defined like this, it is the belief or the practice of removing faith or worship of God from society. Let me just say that again because I want us to understand this here this morning. It is the belief or the practice of removing faith or worship of God from society. 
And what we see as we look at our world today and our culture, especially here in America and around Europe and different places of the, of the world, we see secularism just sort of taking over everywhere because it seems like everywhere we turn, everybody wants to remove Jesus from that aspect of their life or from, from that part of, of our life. It doesn't matter how it impacts us as believers in Christ Jesus, but secularism seems to be the, the word of the day. And so everybody wants to take God out of everything or take Jesus out of everything. And so we see this springing up in our culture today. Secularism, let me just talk about the, the sad realities of secularism for just a moment. But secularism, it promotes the idea that religion is nothing but a relic of the past. That religion is nothing but a relic of the past. In other words, it, it, it speaks on the issue that faith is irrelevant that faith is irrelevant now we we know it not to be we know that our faith is very relevant to who we are is very applicable to who we are as followers in christ jesus but that's what secularism points to or teaches Uh, secularism also turns life toward worldliness with the intent to deprive us of any spiritual influence and so it redirects people away from faith in god And it directs them, it redirects them to faith in worldliness or the world. And so you can see how as we we begin to see secularism sort of spring forth, that it removes God from any ideas that you may have about life and it places your mind on the things of the world instead. Things like education or, or, or just world philosophies or all these different things that we're going to be talking about here this morning. And so what we begin to see is that when God is removed, when God is removed from our schools, and we know that to be the case, when God is removed from our courtrooms, and we know that to be the case, when you begin to remove God from the different aspects of our life, then we begin to see moral decay begin to happen all around us. And so we see this in our world today. We see this taking over our world today, this secularism. It's nothing new. It's something that even Jesus was sort of arguing against in his day. And certainly we see in Paul's writings where Paul was battling secularism as well. But one of the sad realities to me is how much secularism secularism infects the church today. You would think it wouldn't. You would think that our attentions would be on Christ, that we wouldn't want to remove Jesus from any aspect of our life. But yet in the church today, if we really take a close look, we begin to see that it affects even the church in ways that you could only imagine. And so that's why it's important that we talk about this here this morning as we continue this study on what it means to be free. If you think about who we are in Jesus, we have freedom in Christ Jesus and that our identity is no longer in the flesh, but it's instead in Christ Jesus, then it would seem that our beliefs and our practices should also be with a great intentional and and, and profound uh, view of Christ in our life. Not removing Christ from our life, not removing God from any aspect of our life, but instead allowing Jesus to be central in every aspect of our life. And so we want to dive into this and look at this text here today and talk through this. The Apostle Paul, he dealt with secularism often in his ministry. That's why when he was writing to Timothy, this young uh, preacher, this young man in the ministry, 
this young man who he would consider his son in the ministry, when he was writing to Timothy, he addressed this issue. Paul had encountered those who opposed the gospel. Jesus encountered those who opposed the gospel. But Paul came under great opposition to the gospel as he would go from village to village or town to town as he preached the gospel. Oftentimes, he, was in, he, he encountered this, this worldliness or this secularism, and he would have to deal with it from time to time. And, and as he preached the gospel, one of the things that the apostle Paul noticed was that as long as the gospel benefited those who were listening, they were all for it. If it was something that would improve their way of life, they were all for it. But if he was preaching the gospel and it was a, it was a message on sin or something that was, that was challenging them to change their life from what they enjoyed their life being, then we often see that they would oppose him greatly even to the point that they would persecute him and, and many times seek to kill him or destroy him. And so we see that as the gospel was going out, as the gospel was being preached, as long as the gospel benefited people, they were all behind it. But you see, their hearts weren't in it. And so knowing this, Paul instructs Timothy with some truths that we really here this morning should take to heart. He's talking to Timothy. He's writing to this young man. This is the second letter that he had written to young Timothy. And we're going to dive into this this morning. Read with me, if you will, 2 Timothy chapter 4, starting with verse 1 and going through verse 5. Paul is writing, and he says this. He says, I charge you. Another word that we could use there is, I instruct you, or I instruct you uh, greatly. It's, it's, a, it's a stronger word than just, I teach you or I instruct you. It's one that really comes with a great deal of importance. And so when we see Paul use this word, charge, I charge you, he's, he's really wanting Timothy to understand the significance of what he's about to say. He wants him to understand that this is hugely important for him to understand. And so he says to young Timothy, he says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. He says in verse 2, he says, Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. He says in verse 3, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and they will turn away from listening to the truth and they will wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, enduring suffering, and do the work of an evangelist, fulfilling your ministry. Now, I realize that Paul is writing to a young pastor. He's writing to someone who's going to be preaching the gospel. He has a calling on his life to go out into a community and to preach the gospel and to raise up elders and to, to teach the church and to equip the saints to do the work of ministry. So Paul is writing to this young man to instruct him on how to be a better pastor, how to be someone who is a faithful minister of the gospel. And so he's, he's encouraging him to do that. But this morning, as we look at this, I want us to think about it 
from the perspective of how it is that we can take this passage and apply it to our life because the reality is not all of us in this room are preachers we often use this text when we're ordaining new pastors or new uh, pastors of the gospel ministers of the gospel and so this is one that was written with great relevance to a pastor but it also has a word to teach every single one of us in this room and so I want us to look at this and see what it is that we can learn from what Paul is telling to this young Timothy now this passage it can be divided up really into two different parts to two different parts we have on one hand we have the charge that's where uh, Paul starts in this in this passage so we have the charge that's one part of this entire text and then the other part is the is the reality of or the fatal reality of secularism and so Paul says here he gives the charge to Timothy and then in the second part we see where he really describes secularism at its best and so we want to look at this now let's here's what I want to do for the sake of 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 trying to understand this and really teaching it this morning I want to start with the second part I know Paul wrote it in a particular order where he charges Timothy he's already been speaking to Timothy about a lot of these issues and so Timothy's mind is sort of in the game but for us this morning since we're just taking one look or one snapshot of this entire letter I want us to start with the the fatal reality of secularism I want us to talk about that have some conversation about that and then we're going to go back and talk about the charge that he gives to this young man so let's look at this the fatal reality of secularism starting with verse 3 this is what the apostle Paul says this is what the word of God says says in verse 3 for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching but having ears excuse me itching ears they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myth now Paul says there's a time that's coming and in the reality is the time was already there I think what Paul is trying to say here is he's coaching this young pastor is you will encounter this you will see this in your life you will as you preach you will have those who oppose the gospel and this is the reason why and so I want us to look at this I want us to understand what is secularism and how is it affecting the church and what is it that that Paul was saying about secularism that's so important for us he starts off and he says he says for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching in other words he says they will not put up with sound teaching what is sound teaching well sound teaching obviously is referring to here as sound doctrine in other words the things i mean paul is talking about the word of god he's just mentioned the word of god so he's talking about those sound teachings of the bible he's talking about sound doctrine that is presented uh through the word of god and so he's bringing that up but here's what i want us to understand what paul is also saying when he says people will refuse to endure sound teaching is he is basically saying that teaching which most benefits the listener those people that he's talking about he's saying the teaching that most benefits them in other words it's good teaching it's teaching that will that will bring fulfillment in their life it's teaching that will bring peace into their life it's teaching that will benefit them greatly he says there's a time that's coming 
And indeed, the time is now where people will not endure sound teaching. In other words, what people will do is reject that which is best for them. That doesn't make sense, does it? And yet we see it every day all around us. We see it every day where people decide to follow their flesh instead of pursue righteousness. We see it every day where Christians, where believers and followers of Christ Jesus choose the world over Jesus. Every single day we see this. It doesn't make sense. We all know as believers in Christ Jesus, the teachings of Scripture, the things that the Bible is teaching us is that which best benefits us. That's the sound teaching. That's the part that we need to embrace. That's the part that's going to bring fulfillment and peace and joy in our life. And yet every day we see those that just sort of put it off. They don't endure it. They don't put up with it. They reject it. And so Paul is saying here, as he's writing, he's talking about the church in which Timothy is pastoring, and he's saying there will be people in your congregation who will hear the word of God, but you know what? They won't put up with it. They won't endure it. They won't listen to sound teaching. And so he tells this young preacher, you're going, to, you're going to encounter this. You're going to see this. And then he goes on, he says, but having ears or itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Boy, it just went from bad to worse right there. So here's what Paul's saying. He says, there will be people among you, maybe even people who call themselves disciples of Jesus, who won't put up with the teaching that is best suited for them, that won't put up with the Word of God and how this, this, this teaching that benefits them, they won't put up with sound doctrine. And then he says, and here's what they'll do. They'll abandon your teaching, talking about this young pastor, as he's preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says they will leave that and they will go out and they will find the teachers that are teaching the things that they want to experience that they want to embrace and so he says listen it, it will go from them not just rejecting the message but it will come to a place where they seek out those who are going to teach what they want to hear so you can see the sad reality of the world in which Paul was writing about you can see this this idea that Paul is presenting to this young man and you would think that man this is something that's going to really discourage this young man because he's basically saying to this young preacher man things are not as easy as maybe you once thought they would be he says here in verse 4 and they will turn away from listening to the truth and this is where the sad fatal reality comes into place it says here in verse 4 they will turn away from listening to the truth and they will wander off into myths. They will abandon the teachings of Jesus for what somebody else has to say. Maybe they would say, well, I know that the Word of God is the Word of God, but it doesn't quite line up with my life, so you know what, I, I, this guy over here, he's teaching this other stuff, and it just sounds better. It makes me feel better. Even though what Paul is presenting here is that the truth is what sets you free. The truth is what you need in your life. The truth is what benefits your life. The truth, we talked about all this last week, is the truth of God's Word that brings fulfillment and peace and joy into your life. 
I've talked to so many people over the years that find themselves in a very dark place, that find themselves in a very discouraged place, that find themselves in a place of despair. And one of the first things I ask them is, how's your prayer life? How, how are you seeking God? Are you reading His Word? And, and the answer is always the same. Well, my prayer life hasn't been that good lately. My, I don't know when the last time I read Scripture. How are we ever going to understand and hear from God if we're not spending time in prayer, if we're not spending time in His Word, reading and studying and and diving into the truth that sets us free from discouragement, that sets us free from everything that we're dealing with in our despair. How are we ever going to find the peace that surpasses all understanding when our time with God is almost non-existent? I think what Paul is saying is, you won't. But there'll still be people who do it. There'll still be those who leave the good teaching, the sound teaching, for myth. And so Paul presents this problem to us. You know, unfortunately, we live in a world today that, much like Paul's day, even Christians don't want to hear about sin. You know, you look at Scripture and you, you see how Scripture deals with sin and and we hear all the time, well, talking about sin is, is too condemning or talking about sin, that doesn't, that doesn't encourage anyone. A few years back, I went to a pastor's conference in Atlanta. And it was a small conference. It, it wasn't that big. But I remember the guys were, that were teaching the conference, there was probably four or 500 pastors there and I remember one of the speakers got up, and, and as he's talking to us, he's sort of giving us some nuts and bolts of, of growing a church. And he said this to us as pastors. He says, and let me just say this to you, pastors. Uh, the people of this world today, they've heard enough sermons. That's what he said to us. And he says, what they need is not you preaching to them about sin, but what they need is conversation that they can relate to. I remember I just got up and walked out. Because you see, when I read the Bible, especially this passage that we're about to look at right here, what it tells me through the writings of Paul and the Word of God to a young preacher is to preach the Word. And the Word of God confronts sin. The reality is we have to expose the sin in our life, and that's what the Word of God does. The Holy Spirit of God comes into our hearts, and He leads us to those places where sin exists in our life, and as He exposes sin, our response, if we're going to be Christ-like, our response, if our identity is in Christ Jesus, is to reject that sin, to turn away from that sin, to repent of that sin, and to turn instead to Christ Jesus and pursue His righteousness. So you see, therefore, how the Word of God benefits us, but how it's healthy for us, because it takes us and it removes us from a place that is very dangerous to us. And so we must talk about sin. We must talk about sin in our life. We must, because it is the healthy thing to do. It's not about being condemning. It's not about not wanting to encourage. It's about understanding that if sin exists in our life, we need to eliminate it. 
So we got to preach on sin. We got to talk about it. Because the Word of God talks about it. You see, it, it, would, be, it would be unjust for us to pick and choose the passages that we like in the Word of God so that we can feel all warm and fuzzy about life. That's not what God desires of us. God has given us His Word. And He uses His Word to build us up and to be strong and healthy and mature. Listen to this, Christ followers, not worldly followers. And so Paul says, he says, you're going to encounter this as a young pastor. Timothy Keller, he, he once said this, he says, we are regularly in danger of having too light of a view on our sin and also too light of a grasp of what Jesus has done to free us from our sin. We walk around in this earth we just don't even want to consider sin in our life. We don't want to look at it. We don't want to examine it. But man, we want to focus on the reality that Christ has set us free from it, don't we? There is therefore now no condemnation. How many of us have heard that one over and over and over? Because we, that brings warm fuzzies, doesn't it? And that's truth. That's the truth of God's Word. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But we must remember that Christ has set us free from sin, not to sin. And so here we see the Apostle Paul as he deals with this. Paul foresee, foresaw excuse me, a time where Christians were okay with truth as long as it didn't meddle in their life. You know, in John 6, we see where Jesus was teaching about him being the bread of life. Jesus is going from town to town. He's teaching. He would often go to the synagogues and it was there that he would teach. And, and so he's teaching on this reality that he is the bread of life. And he says, come to me and you will no longer hunger. And come to me. He's talking about spiritually. If you will come to me, he says, you will no longer hunger because he's the bread of life. He's the one that, that meets our needs greater than any physical bread could ever meet in our needs. And so he says, if you come to me, he says, he says my blood was spilt, will be spilt for you what so that you will never thirst he is the he is the living water he talks about and so he's talking about all of these things and as he's talking about these things it says that there were disciples or followers of jesus who began to leave because this was just too much more than they could comprehend that just sounded too crazy a talk people actually challenged jesus during this time and they would say Man, what do you mean you're the bread of life? You come from heaven. What does all that mean? And it says here in John 6 that disciples began to leave Jesus. They began to abandon Jesus. He's talking crazy talk, and they're just not going to put up with that. And then Jesus turns to the 12. He turns to those, uh, those 12 disciples, and he turns to them, and he says to them, he says, are you going to still follow me? And I love Simon Peter's answer. Simon Peter was one of those disciples that constantly was putting his foot in his mouth, right? I mean, it, I, I look at the 12 disciples and I often wonder, who would I be if I was one of those disciples? Which one best resembles my life? And it's probably Simon Peter. I mean, he, man, there were times where he had really, he just hit the nail on the head, and then there were other times where he was like, you know, you, you were like, dog, brother, I wouldn't have said that, you know? I mean, that was who Peter was, right? But Jesus answers I mean, he asked this very important question. He says, all these people are leaving me. 
Are you going to leave me? Are you going to abandon me because I'm speaking the truth? And I love what he says here. He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? Whom shall we go? You have the word of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. I love his response. Who's going to give us truth? Peter says, Jesus, who, who would we turn to for truth? The words that you speak are the words that most benefit our lives. Why would it be that we would ever abandon you? And so here, obviously, in this moment, Simon Peter gets to a place where he understands that Jesus is speaking the word of life, the truth that we need to hang on to. And no doubt the sound teaching that the Apostle Paul is speaking of. And so that's what we have here. We have the, the fatal reality of secularism. We see how it just really can destroy our life. But now let's look at the charge. This is the first part of this. This is where, where Paul, he's, he's speaking to Timothy, and he says, this is how I charge you. In other words, he's instructing him on how to live his life as a faithful minister of the gospel. He's saying, listen, do this if you want to be a faithful servant of Christ. Because as the church, we never want to we never want to find ourselves in a place where we substitute truth for fiction. So Paul instructs Timothy, and he charges him. He says in verse 1, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. He says in verse 2, preach the word. Preach the word. He says, be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For pastors, this charge is one that we should take very seriously. It is one that we should take very serious. It's, it, it's, it's, a, it's a set of instructions that are given to us as pastors to take very seriously as we consider how to best minister to those whom are around us, who we're ministering to, to the, to the churches in which we are shepherding as Jesus' servants. And so he lays out this set of instructions, if you will, and he says, man, if you're going to be faithful, this is what you need to do. And he begins with this first one. He says, be faithful to the gospel. Be faithful to the gospel. This is so important for us to understand because here we begin to see this unfolding, this charge that he is presenting to us. He says in verse 2, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. You know, when I think about that charge, I think about this reality that as a minister of the gospel, he doesn't say pick out that which you think will best benefit the church in which you're leading and present that to him. That's not what he says, is it? He says to him, he says, preach the word. And so for us, if we believe that the Bible is the word of God, and we do, amen? If we believe that the Bible is the word of God, then we must preach 
the Bible. We must preach it all. We must preach and present it all as truth. And we believe here at Cross Point Church that the Bible is the inerrant truth. It is the inerrant word of God that God has given us to read and to teach and to understand that we may apply all of it to our lives. Amen? Not just be able to pick and choose what we like, what brings us warm fuzzies, what encourages us. There's plenty in God's Word that is very uplifting and encouraging, but there's also those passages in Scripture that is there to rebuke us, that is there to uh, convict us, that we may turn away from the things that are damaging in our life and we may turn to Christ, who through Him gives us freedom from our sin who changes our identity, who changes our life and grows us and builds us up as mature believers and followers and disciples of Jesus. And so what we see here as Paul is presenting this is he, he says, be faithful to the gospel. He's challenging this young preacher, this young pastor, don't abandon any of God's word. You preach the word as the spirit of god leads you you preach the word now what does that do for the rest of us here today that aren't pastors well i would say then believe the word apply the word you see how it works here it, it, it's it, it, it's that some may be preaching or teaching our life group leaders they do a great job of that each and every week there's some of us who are called to be preachers and evangelists and teachers of scripture and then there's some of us here that, that, that are sitting here today that may be more on the receiving end of things where we're learning and we're listening but for all of us here today we must be very intentional about applying God's word to our life all of it all of it and so Paul says, be faithful to the gospel. Romans 1, 16 and 17, Paul says this as he's writing to the Roman church. He says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew and also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed for, from faith for faith. That in it... The righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. The Word of God is designed to instruct. It is designed to teach. It is designed to build us up. And what Paul says here is he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Because you see, he recognizes the gospel as that which has the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes that's why Paul was willing to die for it that's why where Paul went he preached the gospel and if it meant they were going to throw stones if it meant that they were going to try to stone him to death if it meant that they ran him out of town if it meant that you know he was persecuted in a, in a, in a dozen other ways then so be it he was going to be faithful to the gospel that's how we should live our life that's how we should live our life the second thing that he lays up here for us in this, in this first part of the charge is he says be bold in encountering biblical error with biblical truth. He says here in the passage, he says, reprove and rebuke and exhort. And so he's talking about countering biblical error or countering, countering biblical error with 
biblical truth. I first learned this principle while I was at seminary in my first class with, with Christian counseling. I remember our, our professor, he walked in and, and uh, he says, hey guys, we're going to spend this semester together. He says, but I'm going to give you in one sentence, I'm going to give you everything you need, to, you need to know about Christian counseling. And so right then and there, everybody broke out their pen. We're ready. We're going we're gonna to jot it down. You know, if you had a laptop, everybody got their fingers on the keys. Back then, it was, they were just kind of coming out with laptops, you know. So everybody was ready. We want to hear this. What is the one secret to biblical counseling? What is it that we can take away that would help us to be better counselors as pastors or, or merely just better friends to our, our neighbors? And, and so we're ready. What is, the, what is the one secret to biblical counseling? He says, are you ready? We said, we're ready. He says, listen for biblical error and counter with biblical truth. You know, can, I, can I just say that? That's what every one of us as Christ followers should be considering in our life. As we live our life, as we examine ourselves, as we examine ourselves and we, we, we look into our life and we, we, we look at our life and we say, is there biblical error? And if there's biblical error in our life, then we just simply counter with biblical truth. What does the Word of God teach us about how we are to live our life? And so here, Paul, he presents this second characteristic or category of, uh, of the charge that he presents here. The third one is very simple. He says, be an example of righteousness. He says, with complete patience and teaching. I think it's very important that we understand the need when we're teaching people about biblical error to have patience in their life. I remember the, the first pastor I worked for, he, he told me this. I was a young man. I didn't know a lot about ministry. He gave me an opportunity. And I remember as we sat down for that first meeting, as, uh, my first day on the job, so to speak, as a young pastor, he came to me and he says, David, you've got to be willing to meet people where they're at and bring them to the cross. And I believe that's what Paul is saying. But you know, there, there seems to be this idea sometimes that we meet them where they're at, they're in, they're in a life of sin, they don't even know Jesus, and we want to grab them by the hand, we want to run, and we expect them to, to, to get as knowledgeable about Jesus as we are in the process, realize, not realizing that sometimes it requires patience in our teaching. And the Apostle Paul, he says this, he says, be an example of righteousness. And the Word of God says, do that with patience. And teaching he also mentions this he says be willing to endure even if it means through suffering be willing to endure even if it means through suffering in verse 5 here he says as for you always be sober-minded enduring suffering so Augustine he once wrote he says God he prayed this he says God you made us for yourself and our hearts are restless till they find their rest in you. I pray this morning that that's the prayer of every single one of us here today. That we would pray, God, you made us for yourself and our hearts are restless till they find their rest in you. My prayer for you this morning, my prayer for me this morning is that we would find our rest in Christ Jesus. That's my prayer for us. That we won't shy away from truth. 
that we won't buy into the worldliness that's all around us. But we would remain rooted in Christ Jesus and there finding rest for our souls. In just a moment, I'm going to pray for us and then you respond however God's leading you to respond. Maybe you want to come to this altar this morning and you want to just spend time with God and you want to, you want to ask Him for rest in your life. The reality is so many of us in this room, day by day we wrestle with the uneasiness of this world. We're influenced by so many things outside of the gospel and outside of Christ Jesus to where we find ourselves being more anxious and worried than having a sense of peace and joy. Oftentimes we find ourselves wondering, why is it that as a Christian, I feel so alone? Why is it as a Christian, so often I feel so discouraged? We find ourselves asking this because we don't like being at a place that we know is contrary to what the gospel teaches about what we would find in Christ Jesus. And so this morning, maybe for you, this altar is a place of rest. Where you come this morning and you pursue Christ and you ask Him to restore your soul. Maybe this altar is a place this morning to pray for someone whom you know. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's your next door neighbor. Maybe it's a co-worker that desperately needs to find Jesus in their life. Or maybe your greatest act of worship this morning is to stand and sing this song that we're about to sing in just a few moments. And to praise God and to give Him all the glory, praise, and honor that He deserves. And worship Him in spirit and truth. Whatever your response, you respond.